And so tonight we're going to focus our attention primarily on, uh, on the passage that Luke just, just read for us. Um, so we are, uh, thank you, Luke. Um, so we are uh, almost done with this series that we've been going through that we've called Tools of Change. And uh, so for the last three weeks, we've been kind of looking at these different tools that God uses to make us more like Jesus. And we've said at the, at the beginning of this, of this sermon series that the primary goal of, of God for his children, one of the primary goals is to make them more and more like Jesus. This is sometimes called the sanctification process, right? Um, if you look at Romans 8, uh, 28 through, through 29, um, Romans eight twenty eight is one of those coffee mug verses that everybody uh, everybody always kind of puts on there. That all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And then there, but there is a connection between that and the very next verse, which talks about the fact that that the good that God is working out in our lives is making us more and more like Jesus. And so. Since that is one of the primary goals of God for your life and for my life, the, the purpose of this series is just to take uh, just a few weeks and just talk about the, the normal things that God uses in the lives of everyday Christians to make us more like Jesus. What does he use to help us grow in that, uh, in that, that direction? And so the first week we talked about the, does anybody remember? Yes, we talked about the gospel, right? Okay, so second week we talked about what? Anybody remember? So that, was, that was week number three. So we did talk about that, talked about prayer last week. Bible, yes. And then week number two is we talked about the Bible. Um, so the gospel, the Bible, we talked about prayer this last week, and then this week we're specifically talking about the church. The church is the fourth tool that we are going to be talking about, or another way of saying that is community, right? And we, as human beings, God has made us in such a way that relationships uh, shape us as human beings, right? And one of the things that I've heard uh, Pastor Carl say that I, I thought was really cool is that when, when you become a Christian, God joins you to his global church. And one of the expressions of that, that spiritual reality that we are joined to the global church is that we become members of a local church body. And one of the, the primary reasons that that belonging to a church and belonging to our youth group and, and, and you know, being involved in, that, in all of those ways, one of the primary reasons that, that those things are important is because God uses the church and the relationships within the church to help you grow. Uh, because Paul Tripp likes to say that you do not have the most accurate view of you. You do not have the most accurate view of you. Uh, I 
will always be more inclined to argue with you if you are noticing some sort of a sin pattern in my life because that's just the nature of our human pride. We, we always want to kind of push against that a little bit and try and make it seem like we are a little bit better, a little bit more righteous, a little bit more moral than we actually are. And so the, the main theme of tonight's message is this, that belonging to the church is a calling to help others change. Belonging to the church is a calling to help others change. This is what you would call the discipleship process. In fact, um, at the winter camp, one of the, the questions that I heard that, that you guys were asking is, is what does it look like to disciple someone? Because I mentioned that in one of the sermons. And so I heard that was a question that was being asked. And in, in reality, the simplest definition of what it means to disciple someone is to help them follow Jesus. That's the simplest definition is to help someone else. I think I shamelessly pilfered that from Mark Dever, if I remember correctly. Um, but that, that's the simplest definition of what it means to disciple someone. It's to help them follow Jesus. And part of our calling as we are part of the church is to, is to aid in that process, to help that process. Because belonging to the church, as we said, is a calling to help others change. Now, as many of you guys know, uh, my wife, Lindsay, is pregnant right? And uh, we're going to have a baby girl, Lord willing, in June. Um, and Lindsay and I, we both feel this, uh, this sense of responsibility. Her name's going to be Evelyn, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, and so we both feel this sense of responsibility to, to care for her, right? To see that she has everything that she needs, whether that's, you know, spiritual guidance or food or clothes or whatever it is. We feel this responsibility to care for her already, right? And it's not as though it's like this burdensome thing, but it's a, like, it's a joyful, uh, it's a joyful responsibility that we feel. We feel glad, we feel excited to participate in, in this little one's life and in discipling her, right? In teaching her how to follow Jesus. And in a similar manner, what this passage that Luke just read for us teaches us is it teaches us that you and I ought to feel a similar sense of responsibility for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I ought to feel a sense of responsibility to one another to help each other change, to help each other grow in our relationship with Christ. Now, this passage, um, to give you guys a little bit of context, um, the author for the first, from verse 7 to verse 11, he is quoting from the Old Testament, okay? Um, it's mostly pulled from Psalm 95, um, but Psalm 95 is actually uh, like a shorter version of Exodus 17. So it's all kind of going back to this story of Israel when they are first out of Egypt and they're moving into the wilderness, okay? But the point of the story is... 
essentially to encourage the original audience to continue to trust in Jesus. And the reason that that, that encouragement was necessary is because the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to Christians who were formerly Jews, who have come under the conviction uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah, and so they have turned to Christ, and they are worshiping Christ now, but as a result of persecution and as a result of people putting pressure on them, they're feeling the temptation to go back into the, the Jewish um, Old Covenant system. And so this, this passage is meant to be an encouragement to um, those particular people and to tell them, no, you don't want to go back. You want to press on and press in to Jesus. And so what this author says, if you look at verse 12, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then verse 13, he says, Exhort one another. So he gives this command to the group to exhort one another, right? And so with all of that being said, what the author is trying to articulate through this passage is that these Christians, they need to feel and take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of, of other Christians, of other Christians in their, their church, in their, their uh, friend group, okay? So that's kind of the, the context. And so... But as we're talking about all this of, you know, uh, belonging to the church, being a calling uh, to help others change and, and all of that, the, we have to ask, what does this passage teach us about, about how the church can be a tool that God uses to change his people? And so this passage teaches us three specific things. First, it teaches us why we need to help each other change. It teaches us teaches us about the necessity of change, why we need to help each other, each other change. And the, the reason is simply is that sin is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. The second thing that this passage teaches us is it teaches us how we can help others change, how we can help others become more like Jesus. And the simple answer is this, encourage one another every day. Encourage one another every day. And finally, this passage shows us what that type of encouragement accomplishes, namely that we help other Christians hold on to their confidence in Jesus. We help other Christians hold on to their confidence in Jesus. So let's talk about this first point of why we need to help others change. We've already seen in verses 12 and 13, uh, a little bit uh, of the, the responsibility that this author is sharing, with, is sharing with his audience, right? Now, I kind of give you guys a little bit of the historical context already, but think about it this way. So these particular uh, Jewish Christians are feeling the temptation to go back to the old covenant way of worshiping God. Now, on the face of it, that doesn't necessarily sound like a sinful thing, 
right? I mean, because the Jewish people had worshipped God under the, the administration of the Mosaic covenant, right? Uh, worship God through, um, the using, through the use of the priesthood, sacrificial system, and at the temple. They had worshiped God this way for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And so on the face of it, it doesn't sound like such a sinful thing, right? But then when you realize that the priesthood, that the sacrificial system, and the temple were all meant to point forward to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the final and last sacrifice. Jesus is the final and great high priest. And Jesus is the final and great temple. Jesus is the sacrifice that that removes our guilt and sin and shame. Jesus is the high priest who intercedes on our behalf in heaven before God Almighty, before God the Father. And it is in and through Christ, he is the meeting place now where we meet God. Okay? And so all of those Old Testament things were meant to point us forward to Christ. And so now that Christ has come... And these, uh, these particular Hebrews have trusted in Christ to turn back from the reality to the things that were types and shadows that were meant to... to it's like going from... Uh, it's like going, going to Disneyland, okay? You're in there, you're enjoying everything, and then you leave Disneyland and go hang out by the sign out front. You're like, this is cool too, right? It's like, no. That's not the point. If you want to go to Disneyland, you want to go all the way into the promised land, right? You don't want, <laughs> you don't want to just hang out by the sign outside, okay? And so that's, that's the situation. And so it was actually a very blasphemous thing. It, it is uh, equivalent to rejecting Christ for these particular Christians to turn back to the old covenant way of worshiping. And so it was actually a little bit of a deceitful desire in their hearts. They wouldn't have initially thought of it as sinful, right? But when you recognize that all of the the old covenant um, things that that accompanied the the Mosaic covenant, the the priesthood, the sacrifices, and the temple, when you recognize that all of those were were meant to point people to Jesus, and if these people were to turn away from Jesus, they would be turning back to what was always meant to point them to Christ. And so, in a way, it would be a very sinful thing for them to do that. And so, that is this deceitful sin that is happening in this particular group of believers. And the same is true for us, honestly. I can remember a time a few years back where I had been really hurt by, by a close friend. And uh, I, it, was, it was a hurt of such a nature that I didn't speak to this person for a year. Now, what was interesting is that during the course of that year, I would have deceived myself or convinced myself that I had truly forgiven this person, right? As long as I didn't think about this person or hear other people talk about them or anything like that, it's like, I've totally forgiven them. 
But as soon as you bring that person up, it was just like, this rage, you know, like, like comes up in your heart. I'm sure you guys have probably experienced that, that, that type of a feeling, right? And so through the encouragement of my wife and the Lord uh, convicting me, I realized that I had deceived myself into thinking that I had truly forgiven this person. But in reality, I was harboring bitterness and unforgiveness in my own heart. You see, it is very easy for us to convince ourselves that what is wrong is actually right and what is right is actually wrong. And the reason is because the sin that still dwells within our hearts is very deceptive. And so we have to be vigilant as Christians. We have to, like we talked about last week and the week before, we have to be testing our thoughts, our desires, and our choices according to the standard of God's word in order to know if we are really uh, putting sin to death, if we are really walking the way that God wants us to walk, or are we living deceived? You see, us 21st century Christians are no different than the Israelites wandering in the desert. You see, what was going on in Moses' day is he had just come out of, they, he had just led the Israelites out of, the, out of Egypt and they were, they were in the desert and there was no water there. And so the Israelites are complaining and they're getting, I think Moses says something along the lines of, these people are getting ready to stone me because they're so upset. And they were saying, it would have been better for us to go back to Egypt. You see, they were so deceived that they thought it was better to go back into slavery. And we are capable of that same level of self-deception. And that's why we need the church, why we need faithful brothers and sisters to come alongside us or a faithful wife to come alongside us and say, hey, you, you freak out every time this person's name is mentioned. Like, there's something wrong there. <laughs> We need faithful brothers and sisters to come alongside us and say, hey, this is what God's word says, and your life doesn't match that. And, and we ought to be humble enough to receive that. Now, it's hard to be humble enough to receive that, but we have to be humble enough to receive that because if our goal is truly to be more and more like Jesus, then we'll be willing to at least hear out our brothers and sisters when they bring something like that to our attention. We need the church to help us change because sin, the sin that's in your heart, is incredibly deceptive. So that moves us into that next section of how do we help others change? How do we help others follow Jesus? Well, if you look at verse 13, he says this. He says, but exhort one another Every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
And so here, the author kind of digs in a little bit more and he says, okay, this is what it looks like to help others change. This is what it looks like to help others follow Jesus. That word exhort there, um, it, it can get translated as encourage or plead with. It's actually a word that I've talked to you guys about before. Um, it's the word parakaleo. Um, and so it, it's the, actually the same word that is used in the story of the prodigal son when the, older, when the older brother is pouting outside on the porch and the father comes out and he pleads with him to come inside. It's that exact same, that exact same word. And so when you add to that the fact that the author says, uh, exhort one another, right? He plead with one another. And then we add to that the frequency with which he says every day, as long as it is called today. And guess what? If you're in a day, it's called today, right? So the emphasis is that we are meant to encourage one another daily. We're meant to encourage one another daily. This idea of encouraging or pleading one another, I was reminded of when I was a kid, I really, really wanted an iguana. Um, and uh, I had seen, I forget where I had seen it. I actually totally forgot about this until I started writing this sermon. I was like, oh yeah, that was a weird desire. Uh, but I really wanted this iguana, right? And so I was like looking at him on Google, you know, and, and uh, begging my parents, pleading with my parents, you know, daily, right? Can I get an iguana? Can I get an iguana? Can I get an iguana? And then they almost actually gave in to me at one point. But then I heard from a friend of the family, I think, that iguanas sometimes will bite you. Uh, if, like if you try to pet them and stuff. And I was like, well, that's no fun. I want it to actually like crawl on me and be like a little, you know, pet. And just, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> if, if this thing's going to like bite me anytime it gets on me, then I don't want anything to do with it, right? But, and I'm sure you guys have probably all had that experience where you're pleading with your parents to get you a pet or a toy or whatever it is, right? And that's, that's the kind of the idea that's, that's being conveyed through this passage. It's like that, that I would daily come alongside Jack and, and Jack would be honest enough to share what's going on in his life, the struggles, the hardships and all that kind of stuff. And, I would be, and, and he would be honest enough to share that with me. And then I would come alongside him and I'd text him every day and be like, hey man, how's that thing going? How's that struggle? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you to, to put that thing aside? How can I be there for you, right? You see, we as a group, as HSM, we and we as Christians at, at Hope Community Church or at Little Rock we should desire to see our fellow brothers and sisters grow in Christ-likeness so much so that we are willing to see it as our responsibility to see their growth in Christ-likeness as, as our joyful responsibility to care for them in that way. But... In order to do that, there's a, couple, there's a couple things that need to take place before that. First 
is that you have to actually develop your relationships with one another. We have to develop our relationships with one another so that we feel comfortable to the point where we can actually be honest with one another about the different things that, that we're fearful over, that we're struggling with, the sins that, that are constantly bombarding us, the temptations. We have to develop our relationships so that we get to the place where we feel comfortable talking about those things. And once that happens, then we can begin to be honest with one another and to share those areas of struggle, those areas that we know deep down that Jesus wants to change in our lives and he is going to change through his word, through prayer, through his people. And so we have to develop our relationships with one another and cultivate honesty for the sake of growing in Christ-likeness. So my question for you, as you are thinking about this this next week, do you see it as your responsibility? Do you see it in this passage, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today? Do you see it as your responsibility to help your friends that are sitting next to you become more and more like Jesus? Or do you see the Christian life kind of as uh, an individual thing and it's like we're all just kind of on this journey separately but kind of in the, sen- the same general vicinity? Or do you accept the glad responsibility to care for one another in this way, to help each other become more and more like Jesus? Do you see it as your responsibility or do you not? So we've seen why, why we need to change. We've seen from this passage one of the, the ways that God uh, uses people to to help us change, namely through exhortation or encouragement on a frequent daily basis, right? And then we should ask ourselves, what exactly does this encouragement accomplish? What exactly does this encouragement accomplish? Look at verse 14, where he says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, what's interesting is this, the word for there, it's the Greek word gar. Now, for, when you see it in a verse, it draws a direct connection to the verse that is prior to it, right? And so the prior verse, verse 13, is all about exhorting one another, encouraging one another, uh, pushing one another to flee sin and to pursue Christ, to lay hold of the gospel and put all of our hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so there is a direct connection between verse 13 and verse 14. 14 is the result of doing 13 really, really well. Namely, that you and I, as we encourage one another to put away sin and to put on Christ, to grab hold of the gospel with both hands and never let go, as we encourage one another to do that, it allows 
one, we allow one another, we, we build our confidence in Christ. We build up each other's confidence in Jesus. Now, I want to give a little caveat here. What I'm not saying is that if you never encourage your friends to follow Jesus and to stop sinning, uh, what I'm not saying is that they'll definitely fall away from the living God. Ultimately, the one who keeps Christians believing, keeps Christians trusting in Christ and hoping in the gospel, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who, as First Peter says, guards us, who keeps us for Jesus until he returns or brings us safely all the way to Jesus. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. But in his wonderful wisdom, we get to be a part of that process of helping our brothers and sisters continue in the faith. We get to encourage the people that God brings us into close contact with. Think about, I don't know if any of you, are any of you guys runners? You like to run? No? Oh, a little bit? I hate running. Running is the worst. Um, <laughs> uh, I would rather, uh, yeah, I would, man, if I could, I would, I would yeah, I'd drive everywhere. Uh, yeah, I don't want to run. <laughs> but I imagine, imagine that you are in the midst of running a race, okay? You're sweaty. You may be drooling a little bit. You're very, you know, you're tired, right? Okay? Now, imagine that you have no support. There's nobody watching the race. And you're competing against all these other people that want to see you fail. That would suck, right? That would be a really terrible time. Now, imagine the flip side of that. You are competing in a race where you have a whole team that's watching you, that's cheering for you, encouraging you. Your family's in the stands. They're looking at you. They're telling you, go, go for it. You could do it. Strain for the goal, right? There is such a difference between that and doing it Lone Ranger style, trying to, to gut it out. That is not the way to do the Christian life. It's stupid. It's the worst possible way to do the Christian life. What God calls us to, he calls us to be a part of this, this team that is called the church, where we help one another, we encourage one another, we exhort one another every day, we're checking in, texting, calling. Hey, how are you doing? How's that, that thing that you're struggling with? Can I pray for you? You know what's incredible is, I don't know if you guys are aware of the statistics of how many students stop following Jesus after high school. Uh, right now, it's somewhere around 66%. So over half, I mean... I pray, pray to God that this is not the case, but in this room, over half of you, if, if those statistics were true, over half of you would stop following Jesus after you graduate. I pray that that's not true of you guys, but I am absolutely convinced that one of the key reasons why that happens is because as soon as people graduate and go off to college, they don't get plugged into a church. 
And in fact, one of the things that they've seen over and over again, that that is exactly the case. Uh, in fact, uh, they did an interview with this one student who said that they actually never really intended to stop going to church. It just kind of happened, right? They went off to college. They didn't really make it a priority. And then they just kind of stopped coming. And then over time, they just walked away. You see, God has not designed us to live the Christian life all by ourselves. God has designed us to be a people whom he has called, whom he has purchased, to be passionate about following Jesus, to be passionate about doing good works. You see, when you go off to college or, or when you get older, I'm convinced that the, the problems, the, the seeming intellectual problems to Christianity, they all have answers. Time and again, what usually happens is people get deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and they get out of fellowship with other believers who can call them out on that sin and who can help them answer those questions that they have. And the result of that is young people walking away from their faith. It has absolutely nothing to do with the truthfulness of the Bible or whether or not God is real. All of those things, they know deep down that those things are real. But their hearts get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and they don't have other brothers and sisters to come alongside them and encourage them to put away that sin and to follow Jesus. So the question then is, for you guys who are looking at going to college and, and, and all of that, the question is, is, do you see your involvement with the people of God as important to helping you change and become more like Jesus? Do you see your involvement with the people of God as vital for helping you become more and more like Jesus? Because the word of God says that it's vital. It says that it is absolutely a necessity for us to be involved with the people of God so that we can exhort one another and encourage one another. And so just as it is Lindsay and I, as, as it is our responsibility to care for little Evelyn when she gets here and, and to see that she has all that she needs and to, to raise her up in, in the fear and instruction of the Lord... It is also your responsibility to make sure that each of you is raised up and is following Jesus. It's your responsibility to help each other follow Jesus. It's my responsibility to help you follow Jesus and your leaders. All of us have a responsibility to one another to help each other grow and follow Jesus. John Calvin, when he read this passage, he made a comment about it, and he said, he said this. He said, God would have us encourage one another by mutual exhortations so that Satan may not creep into our hearts and by his fallacies draw us away from God. And this kind of talk, meaning the encouragement is to be especially observed or is to be done frequently 
For we fall not immediately by the first assault of Satan, but Satan by little by little attacks us and artfully through indirect means until he has ensnared us with his delusions. In other words, he's saying that you don't, it, you don't walk away from your faith in an instant. It happens slowly over time as the deceitfulness of sin grabs a hold of your heart continually and it hardens you against the living God. And our, one of the tools that God has given us is each other to protect us from that situation, to protect us from that kind of deceitfulness of sin. And so you and I, as believers, we need to point one another to Jesus, to the Savior who was never deceived by the deceitfulness of sin, to the Savior who didn't have the luxury of the encouragement that you and I can give to one another, the Savior who was abandoned by all of his friends, everybody left him, who was crucified alone in the dark, the Savior who endured all of that and remained faithful to his very last breath. We need to point one another to that Savior because his goal in doing all of that is to rescue us from the deceitful power of sin and to keep us and bring us into the family of God. Let's pray.